Well, good morning. God is good? And all the time? Amen. Well, it is a joy to be here this morning. I got a few announcements for you, and then I want to share one or two things before we get started. First thing, uh, for those who are interested in going to Israel, please make sure that you sign up on the form in the back. We're looking at June, May 29th through June 7th. Uh, we should be able to be getting ticket prices for the airplane in just a few weeks. Adventure Week is coming up on July 11th through the 14th, 6 p.m. to 8.30. You can pick up one of these to pass out to share with uh, friends and family that they may come and be a part of our Adventure Week. For those who uh, haven't been with us for a long time, Adventure Week is what we call VBS. And uh, so this, it goes on in the evening. Love for you to share this with those uh, family and friends. You can pick that up at the events table. And then on the last day of VBS or Adventure Week, uh, we're going to have Kids Blitz. Now you may remember this from last year. We did it on a Wednesday night. This time we're doing it on a Friday night at the end of VBS or Adventure Week. I'll get it right in a minute. Um, this is a free event, fun uh, just activities that are happening, and then they share the gospel in that. It's a wonderful time. And then one other thing that I want to share with you is youth camp. The deadline to register and pay in full is this Wednesday. Um, that's July 18th through the 22nd, and they are going to Asheville, North Carolina. And so if you are interested or have a family member that's interested, please uh, share with them and, and get them connected with Matthew Jacobs. He'd love to share with you. Matthew's actually in the choir today, back over there. How about that? Uh, don't y'all love seeing the students up here about to sing amen? Well, I want to take a moment or two. I know that, uh, that a lot of you uh, have been praying for my family as we were at the convention. Um, it was a, a good time out in California. A lot of things that were accomplished. Let me just share this. If, if you see something on Twitter or on a newspaper and you want to know the truth, come and ask me because I was there. Um, not always are things um, projected properly, so to say, on uh, different news. Uh, and and y'all know that. Uh, but we would love, I'd love to share with you any questions that you may have. Um, there was a lot that I learned while we were out in California, and I'll share some of that in the message today. We were going to begin the Sermon on the Mount today, uh, but we're actually going to start that next week, so this week I can share with you what the Lord's put on my heart as we were out in California. You know, one of the best things about the SBC is that when you go to the convention, anybody can speak on the microphone. But one of the worst things is that anybody can speak on the microphone. I want you to know that I truly believe that a overwhelming majority of SBC messengers want to stand and will stand on God's holy word. And I believe that that is still the direction of the SBC. And as long as that's the direction, we're going to continue forward every day. Now, I do want to share with you one other thing. As many of you know, uh, that just this past weekend, Friday, I believe it was, Roe v. Wade was overturned in America. Amen? I rejoice in this, and there's three verses that the Lord gave me, and I want to read these three verses. First is Psalm 139. For you formed 
my inward parts, and you wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was, in, when I was made in secret, and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there were not one of them. Church, this is a historic moment that I never would have thought could have happened in my lifetime. To see Roe v. Wade uh, overturned. Church, we have always stood and will always stand on God's holy word that life begins at conception. When God breathes life into each of us. But I want to tell you that this is going to create another area that we must rise up as the body of Christ and support. James chapter 1 verse 27 says, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and our Father is this, is to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep one unstained by the world. Church, as this takes place across our nation, especially here in Alabama, are we going to support the mothers and the children that are born in the days to come? Will we support the Alabama Baptist Children's Home as we have and even more in the days to come? Will we walk with Save-A-Life as they continue to walk with mothers and their children in the days to come? This is not a time to stop. This is a time to continue forward and to recognize that every child and every mother that comes our way, we're going to champion and rally together with them and to share the gospel with them. I pray that we will be a church that recognizes and supports and continually overwhelmingly supports adoption and, and help helping children as they walk through these days. Then there's one other thing the Lord put on my heart. And that's Proverbs 24, 17. It says this, and church, you need to hear this very carefully. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. And do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. You know, I speak that because, yes, we must rejoice We must celebrate the fact that God's word, his holy word, has overthrown this this wrong from the 70s, I believe it was. And now life is being preserved, praise God. But we must also recognize that we're different than the world. And so we don't need to gloat and come against other people who have a different view. Yes, they're lost. Yes, it's wrong, and we need to share the truth of the gospel. But we must recognize that we don't need to be arrogant in how we speak about what has taken place. Let me give you an example. My son had a baseball tournament this weekend, the state tournament. They lost. They didn't, they didn't just lose, they lost. Now, if your son was on the losing team, you want the winners to win well. And not come over and be like, I told you so, we got you, we beat you. Church, we're different. 
And so let's show the world that we're different by loving and having compassion and recognizing that people who uh, believe that, that birth isn't till the, the baby is born 90, nine weeks, nine months later, let's recognize that they need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They don't need to hear our condemnation. They need to hear the truth of God's word. And God's word is what will change their lives. So I say this, I'm not on any social media, so I'm not speaking this to anybody in the room that I know about, but make sure that we walk as children of the light by how we speak on this matter on social media. Make sure that we share the love of Jesus for those who don't recognize and understand and those who want to be violent in this situation because their way didn't get past. So church, may we reflect the image of Christ in this. And one last thing to share. For those who may say, David, I have seen over and over on the news about churches coming under attack and pro-life places coming under attack. I want you to know that we do have a security team here. They are in place. Praise God for placing that in, in, on, on our hearts to put that together. We have a team here to help and protect even in these days. But let's pray. Let's pray, church, for all those in our community that ultimately they will hear the gospel and that they will come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin this morning. Father, we rejoice. Father, I remember as a kid standing up for life. And Father, today, a historic moment in our country. Father, thank you. We know that it is only by your grace and your mercy, oh God, Father, we rejoice, and Lord, we want to come alongside, support, and walk with. Father, we pray for those who have a different understanding, those who are lost, those who do not see the truth. Father, we pray that they would see in this moment the grace, the mercy, and the love of you, Father, flowing through the church. Father, thank you. Now, Lord, today as we come into this place, Father, we worship you and you alone. Empty me, Father, and just pour out your truth. Father, for your word will not return void. It will accomplish that which it was set out to do. And Father, I pray that if there's anyone in this room today who does not know you as Lord and Savior, Father, that they will come to know you and submit to your lordship, that today would be the day of salvation, oh God. Oh, Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. Meet with us today, oh God. May our hearts be overflowed with your love and grace. Oh, Father, we love you and praise you. For it's in your name 
the name above all names, the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Thank you for worshiping with us today. If you're a guest with us, we'd love for you to fill out the welcome card that's in the seat back pocket uh, that's right in front of you. Today's an awesome day because we have our students as part of the family of God leading in worship from the platform. We also have a special guest from the University of Mobile, uh, Miss Leslie Ann Middleton, who is going to be coming and, and playing flute and also singing for us today. Uh, the Lord is blessed. And he is worthy of praise. Amen. Let's stand together. Why don't you say hi to someone and we will start praising the Lord. We've waited for this day. We've waited for this day. We're gathered in your name. Calling out to you. Your glory like a fire. Your presence in this place, your glory on our face, we're looking to the sky, descending like a cloud, you're standing with us now, Lord, unveil our eyes, you're the reason we're here, you're the
today that our hearts would be receptive to what you are doing in and through us as the people of God. I love you, Lord. We want to get back to the heart of worship. Light of the world, sing with me. Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see.
may be seated as we continue in worship. I love talking to Matthew because uh, he, he talks about our, our students and how they love to sing and they love to worship. And I, I asked him what, what song is on the hearts of our students and uh, the song That's the Power came up. I said, well, that's a perfect song for our Better Together Sunday because there's a power in the name of Jesus no matter how old you are, no matter where you come from, uh, no matter what your skill level, He can use you. He's given us good gifts. There's power in His name to save out of every single situation. We can live in victory knowing that He saved us on Calvary. Amen. So this is a new song. When you catch it, you sing with us, all right? Sing together. There's a name that levels mountains And cars out highways through the seas I've seen its power unravel battles Right in front of me Amen There's a faith Listen to these words There's a faith that stands defiant Since Goliath to his knees, I've seen his praise unravel shackles right off my feet. Amen. There's power in his name. That's the power of your name. Just a mention makes a In the furnace unafraid The kind of daring expectation That every prayer I make Is on an empty grave That's the power of your name Just a mention takes away know you better every day, that we would grow in you, the community of believers here, and we go in all the world to you, Lord. We see you moving. Let us go. I see you taking ground. I see you press ahead. Your power is dangerous to the enemy's hand. Amen. Your 
can't say amen. Lord, we're so thankful for the way that you saved us, forgave us, the way that you put your righteousness on us because ours were as filthy rags. At the cross, we find you. And then we move on from there carrying our cross daily, Lord. We love you and we thank you. Praise you. There's a place where mercy reigns and never dies. There's a place where streams of grace flow deep and wide. Where all the ever found comes like a blood comes flowing down at the cross at the cross at the cross I surrender my life I'm in all you I'm in all you where your love ran red and my There's a place. There's a place where sin and shame are powerless. Where my heart has peace with God and forgiveness. Where all
Jesus, we thank you so much for you submitting to the Father's will, going to the cross for our sins, saving us from the enemy. Lord, to live a life and live a life abundantly. We thank you that you give us everything we need for life and godliness and you've left the helper, the Holy Spirit, to point us to you as our mediator, the one who prays for us, the one who knows us, our inmost being, Lord, that knows the hairs on our head. Lord, you know what we will do for your name and we pray that we would take every chance that we can to be obedient to love you forever and ever we pray that when we see your face that we would just have a well done good and faithful servant Lord we pray that we would go in and for you to this world in Jesus name we pray Amen
Amen. Well, it is a joy to be with you today. I have spent a little bit of time away with the convention and then taken some time while we were in California to take some vacation. I have learned that I am so thankful to live in Alabama. <laughs> am I allowed to say that? Now, I will tell you, um, it's hot here. It was 75 degrees. That was the high, and the low was 65. Uh, at night, we actually were wearing jackets. I, I didn't know that you were supposed to wear a jacket in June, but um, you know, I learned real quickly that we live in a bubble. I'm just going to be very transparent with you today. We live in a bubble. Now, I'm thankful for that bubble. I'm thankful for South Alabama and being here and God calling my family and uh, us to here uh, 13 years ago back to where I was raised. I, I told Brother Fred that I couldn't come back to Mobile because, you know, the prophet's not welcome in his hometown. But after being and, and, and traveling this past week, I'm very thankful to be back in Mobile, Alabama. And, uh, but today I want to take just a moment and kind of walk through a passage that the Lord put on my heart as I was in California, seeing that we live in a bubble, seeing what was going on in the convention and everything that was happening across our nation and our world. You know, it's interesting, just kind of the confirmation of the Lord telling me this is what I need to preach on this Sunday. After I put this scripture after the Lord put the scripture in my heart and I began to process through the message, I realized that, or I got a text from the national convention with this scripture in it. Then right after that, I was reading an article about one of the few messages that I didn't get to go to at the convention, and sure enough, it was the exact same scripture that was preached. And I didn't get to make it to that one because they were behind schedule in the children's area only uh, allowed a certain amount of time, you had to come get your kids. And I'm sure Emmy and Sam were glad that we came and got them. But today I want to take and just look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 through 38. And I have entitled this, The World's Greatest Problem. Now I will tell you that while we were there, this at the convention, the IMB... Uh, the International Mission Board, they continually spoke about the world's greatest problem. And the Lord took me to Matthew 9, verse 36 through 38. And Jesus spoke this, Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful. But the workers are few. Therefore, beseech, call out to, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Father, as we open your word today, illuminate the pages, speak, give us ears, spiritual ears to hear and spiritual eyes to see, O oh God. And may we place this into our life. For it's in your precious and holy name, the name above all names, the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You know, as we look at this, Jesus begins and sees what's happening with the people around him. 
He has compassion upon them, and we'll look at that. I think that's one of the greatest moments of this, uh, of this passage is that Jesus sees the people, he sees their problem, and he has great compassion upon them. But we'll look at that in a moment. But I want you to see the people here. It says that the people, as he looked at them, they were distressed and they were dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Now, many of us in our passage have different translations, and the different translations uses different words all throughout the different translations of distressed and dispirited. But I want us to see the imagery that Jesus is saying here, and he says that the people were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, this is a powerful statement. He's saying that they have no shepherd, but they are sheep. A sheep that does not have a shepherd is extremely vulnerable and helpless against the predators and the hostile terrain. We may say it this way, they're sitting ducks. They would be harassed by animals without any way to defend themselves. Jesus saw the people and he had compassion because they were in great danger from the enemy. They were helpless. Jesus gives us in John chapter 10 another understanding of sheep and shepherd. And we'll look into this deeply. But I want you to see specifically in John chapter 10 verse 10. One scripture that many of us have memorized. And it says at the very beginning. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus in John 10 is talking about the good shepherd and his sheep. And he's talking about how the thief tries to come over into the area where the sheep are to steal, to kill, and to destroy those sheep. He recognizes that the sheep cannot defend themselves against the thief. Church, this thief that he is speaking of, we see in Genesis chapter 3, We see this thief come and deceive Eve and Adam. And Satan speaks, the enemy speaks, this thief speaks to them and says, is it really true that if you eat or partake of this fruit, that you're going to die? Is that really true what's going to happen? You won't surely die. And in Genesis 3, they partake of this fruit. Eve first, then passing it to Adam. And Adam, I believe he was like, whoa, she didn't pass away, so I'm okay. And Adam takes of this fruit in Genesis chapter 3, and in that moment, they are spiritually dead. And physical death has started to take its place. Church, in that moment, the enemy Satan comes against God's creation to steal them away from their creator. In that moment, sin enters this world. And the book of Romans tells us that through one man's sin, sin enters to all men. And the wages of sin is death. Church, when Jesus looked at the people, he saw that they were helpless against Satan. He saw that they were helpless against the fall of sin. He saw that they could not save themselves. Satan wants to steal God's creation. He wants to kill God's creation. And he ultimately wants to destroy God's creation. Church, We have a lot of issues in our world. 
There's a lot of issues. A war in Ukraine. Unrest at home. Political division. Inflation. Crime. A supply chain shortage. Stock market falling. But I'm here to tell you that the world's greatest problem is lostness. The world's greatest problem is lostness. Church, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy God's sheep, God's creation. And because of the fall of man, people are spiritually dead. And the only way to be reconciled to God is through the blood of Jesus Christ. See, the world's greatest problem is lostness, and we cannot save ourselves, church. I spent a lot of time in California, probably too much time. And as I told you at the beginning, I praise God by His grace and by His mercy, I live where I live. But if we're not careful, church, the bubble that we live in will lull us to sleep. We'll get more focused on keeping our comforts than on the world's greatest problem, which is lostness. I believe it was good for me to get on a plane and to go to California. And I'm not speaking just specifically the convention, but just to get out there and get away from the bubble for a moment. Now, I will tell you, it took a little bit of time. Pilot comes over and says, our engine doesn't work. I said, well, that's probably a problem. He said, we're going to try to manually start it. I said, why don't you manually get us a new plane? But when we got to California, we realized that it was very easy to see lostness. Church, not only was it very easy to see lostness, but in California, they celebrate their lostness. But it's because they're blind, spiritually blind. But as I was sitting there and I recognized the celebration of lostness, and when I'm saying the celebration of lostness, I'm talking about every sin that you can fathom. The Lord said, David, do you realize that in Alabama, people celebrate lostness? I said, really? And the Lord said, well, how often does in Mobile, Alabama or in Alabama, do people celebrate materialism? Well, that person's got a lot. Look at what they're able to buy. And man, I really want that. And, and we begin to, to celebrate and lift high and idolize what people have. Church, do you realize without even no, noticing it, sometimes we celebrate and champion materialism. Can I just tell you, let me just take a moment and just share. Do you realize that all the things that we buy are going to burn up one day? Can I just, can I just tell you? Everything that we have, other than our soul, is going to be destroyed one day. Do you realize that in Alabama, sometimes we celebrate religion? We champion religion and good works. And people say, I'm very religious, but yet they are lost. They say, but, but I, I've done all these things, and yet 
they don't recognize that they are lost and in need of a Savior. Church, one of the greatest things that happened when, when our people, our team went to Zambia was to get out of the bubble for a moment and see that there's lostness all over the world. And to realize that that lostness that's all over the world is right here in our city too. Church, the greatest problem that the world has is lostness. Jesus looked and he had compassion. He was concerned. His heart went out for them. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They could not save themselves and they were in harm's way from the enemy. But praise God, there is an answer, and there's only one answer. In John chapter 10, Jesus speaks of being the good shepherd. In 10.10, it says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come to give life. But then it says in verse 11, I am. Jesus says, I am. One of the great I am statements. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. A hired hand, or not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them up and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. But I'm the good shepherd, and I know my own. And my own know me. Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also so that they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. Church, do you realize that before salvation, we were sheep without a shepherd? But praise God, Jesus is the good shepherd. He laid down his life at Calvary for you and for me, and now we are sheep in his pasture, and he is our good shepherd there's only one answer to the world's greatest problem which is lostness the answer is jesus christ john 14 says i am the way i am the truth and i am the life no one comes to the father except through jesus Any other path to the Father is a thief climbing in over the fence trying to scatter God's sheep. Any other path, Jesus plus anything, is a thief, the Scripture tells us in John 10. Any other way is not of God. Church, do we realize that the only answer The only answer is Jesus, the good shepherd. 
He laid down his life at Calvary. We celebrate on Good Friday, though it's a painful day, recognizing what it took that we may have life. But praise God, three days later, not Easter, Resurrection Sunday happened. And let me tell you, that stone could not keep Jesus in the tomb. God said, get up. I was in California, as I told you. And you know, there's this idea of wokeness. I don't fully understand it. There's some mornings I don't feel woke. Amen. But I saw a shirt and it had Jesus, a picture of Jesus with the crown of thorns on his head, and underneath it it said woke. Oh, but wait. And then it said up. That Jesus woke up. He got up. He was raised from the dead. I was like, hey, I kind of like that shirt. The only thing, though, is Jesus didn't go to sleep. He died, but he rose again on the third day. Amen. And Romans 5 tells us this, that when we were still helpless, when we were sheep without a shepherd, when we were in need because the enemy was coming to steal, to kill, and destroy. In verse 6, it says, for when we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. You can put yourself in that place. God died for For you, for one hardly dies for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And it says in verse 9, much more than having now been justified by his blood, he has saved us from the wrath of God. Through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Church, Jesus is the good shepherd. He laid down his life for the sheep. So I read this out of Matthew 9, and I say to you, okay, Jesus, uh, he sees the people. He felt compassion on them because they were distressed, dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. We recognize the greatest need in the world, the greatest problem in the world is lostness. And we see that the only, only answer to this is the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, who laid down his life. So then what do we, as those who are now sheep in his pasture, what do we do? What do we do? I love what he says. He goes from this understanding of sheep to now he goes to the harvest. And he says this in verse 37 to his disciples. He said, the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. Therefore, pray. Therefore, pray. Church, Jesus tells us back in John 10 again two different places in verse 2 through 5 and in 27 through 30 he says my sheep hear my voice but they do something more than just hear his voice what do they do they follow they follow so what do we do as God's sheep we hear his voice we follow what is God's voice we know it right here in God's holy word he's speaking to us all scripture is God breathed for him to speak it is breath coming forth from his lungs and so if we are to follow his voice we're going to follow and obey God's holy word and so what do we do we pray it says therefore beseech the lord of the harvest therefore pray to the lord of the harvest and i believe there's two things here that we need to pray for 
Now, one's pretty evident. He says to pray for workers in his harvest. We'll get to that one in a minute. But I believe that we need to pray, church, that God would give us the mind and the heart of Christ. Let me go back, as I told you. He saw the people, and he wasn't disgusted. All they're in sin. He wasn't angered at them. Who was God, who was Jesus angered at in the New Testament? Satan, but also who? The religious people. Remember when he flipped the tables over? Why? My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. They had turned the Gentile court into a place of robbery and, and, and basically a place to, to, to take their money from them. But it was supposed to be a place where the Gentiles could come. Church, Jesus wasn't angered. He had compassion on those who were lost. He had compassion. Church, do we have compassion for the lost? Let me just tell you, this is not a man-made, worked-up compassion. This is a holy compassion. This is a spiritual compassion. That the only way that we can have compassion for the lost is when we cry out to God to give us and to place on us the compassion that He has for the lost. Let me give you the best example I know how to. I love my son. I love him. Now, I recognize he's ultimately God's, and I'm just a steward, but I love my son. And just this past weekend, he had the state tournament in baseball. I told you that they lost, and they really lost. That was only the first game. The second game, they almost won. But see, in the first game, Sam got hurt. He was run back to the dugout and didn't realize that there was a little bit of a step there and he twisted his ankle so bad that he had to sit out the second game because he was hurt. As his dad, I was heartbroken for him. As his dad, I wanted just to tear up because my son was hurt and he was missing out on the opportunity to play. As his dad, I just wanted to pick him up and just, just say, Sam, it's going to be okay. And Sam was fine. He was good. He was like, it's okay. But my heart still to this moment bleeds from my son because of what he had to go through and what he went through. Church, do we realize that God's creation was taken through sin by the enemy? Can we imagine as God looks down on people that he created that are being hurt and harmed by the thief every day and led astray by the thief? The pain in his heart, the compassion in his heart. Church, do we have that kind of compassion towards lostness? Jesus said... That he had compassion. And I believe that the only way that we can have compassion like that is to ask God to place it in our heart. I also believe that it, it, it comes from a place of remembering who we once were. To remember, as Ephesians chapter 2 says, that you formerly were dead. To remember that you formerly were children of wrath. 
You were formerly in your trespasses and your sins. It says, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working the sons of disobedience. And he says this, among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, but God, rich in mercy, Not because of something you were able to do, but by his grace, by his mercy, by his love, which he loves us. It says, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Look at verse 8. And in verse 8 it says, for grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourself, it is a gift of God. Church, if we forget who we once were, we will lose and not have compassion for the lost. I praise God that there were people who had compassion on me when I was a sinner in need of a Savior. When I was full of myself. When I was dead. And my eyes were blinded. And people came to me with compassion that was given to them by God and proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church, I'm here today not telling you that I've been perfect, but I'm telling you that God has changed my life. Church, are we praying that we would have compassion for the lost? Or do we sit back and say, oh, I'm glad I'm not them. And this goes back to what I said at the beginning about Roe v. Wade. Church, I'm not telling you not to celebrate. We celebrate God's goodness and His grace and His mercy that a law in our land, or at least a court order in our land, has been stopped and life continues today. Life goes forth. Life has been preserved in many states and we praise God for that. But what we don't need to do is go over there and say, Oh, I told you so and you're so wrong and I can't believe this. We need to share God's love and grace and mercy so that they shall come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior as well. But then he says, pray that God would send workers into his harvest. Pray that God would send workers into his harvest. Church, are we praying for people to go all over the world? Are we praying, church, that people would go in Mobile, Alabama? That people would go in California? That people would go throughout this nation and all throughout this world? Are we praying that God would send people all over the world? But can I tell you, Jesus says in verse 37 that he was talking to his disciples. He said to his disciples, now you pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers into his harvest. Guess what happened to his disciples later? Well, when Jesus ascends into heaven, just before that, He makes this wonderful statement in Matthew 28. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, 
and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. The same ones that he said, pray that God would send workers into the harvest are the same ones that he went and said, go into the harvest. Church, I had a dear friend tell me that whenever we pray for something, we need to be willing to be the answer. Do you recognize that when we pray that God would send workers into his harvest, that he is calling you and he's calling me to go forth into his harvest and take the gospel of reconciliation? He's called us to go in Christ throughout the world. It's the same people that he was speaking to that just a few days later are called to go. How do we do this? We know Acts 1.8, right? But you'll receive power, dynamite power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You want to know how powerful the Holy Spirit is? Go read the book of Acts. And not only that, it says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. Dynamite power, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And you want to see this in action? Go read the book of Acts again. All throughout the book of Acts, what's happening is that the world's greatest problem is lostness and the disciples are taking the only answer that, that, is, that is true, that is real, that is right, and that is Jesus, the good shepherd, and they're taking it throughout the world. Church. If we truly are Luke 4.18 fellowship, then we must follow God's voice that says the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery to the sight, to the blind, and to set free those who are oppressed You know what it says right after that in verse 19? And to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Church, we are the answer to that prayer. God, send workers into your harvest, and he says, go. Go and give sight to the blind. How do you do that? Share the gospel. Go and release the captives. How do you do that? You proclaim the gospel. Church, he said, pray to send workers into whose harvest? His harvest. It's not your harvest. It's his harvest. We're called to share. God produces the results. We're called to plant seeds. God's the one who brings about life and growth. Church, God has said, Go forth and pray that you may that he may send workers into his harvest. And then he says, now go. I want to close with something from the convention. And then also a quick takeaway for Luke 418 Fellowship. I shared this Wednesday night, but the greatest highlight of being in Canada. It's kind of where I felt greatest highlight of being in California wasn't some of the things that we got to do. Many of y'all know I love baseball and I got to take my Sam, my Sam, my son to a Dodgers game. 
got taken to a Padres game. We got to go see the Navy SEALs training out in the water. We got to enjoy beautiful weather. Never rained on us. I don't think it rained here either. But the greatest thing that we got to do was to sit there for 20 to 30 minutes as the IMB, the International Mission Board, brought forth 25 trained and ready-to-go missionaries. And they shared their story. They shared their testimony. Some of them couldn't even be seen. They were behind a, a screen, so all you saw was a silhouette and you heard their voice. That's all you got to hear because of the danger of where they were going. Some of them, we couldn't even hear. Somebody else had to read their story because of how dangerous it is where they're going. But for 25, 30 minutes, couples were coming before us, the IMB, the Southern Baptist Convention, and they had been trained, and they are ready, and they are leaving, and they are going to proclaim the gospel to unreached people groups all over the world. And I sat there in my heart, just overflowed. See, there was a common denominator for all of them. First, it was their love for God. Then it was their compassion for the lost. But then it was a recognizing by getting outside of their comfort zone and seeing the lostness all over the world. Church, I could be wrong. It may have been 23 out of 25, but it sure felt like every single one of them made this in their statement. That my recognition of lostness and the burning desire in my heart with compassion towards the lostness all began when I went on a short-term mission trip. Let me give you an example. When I got outside of the comfort zone, when I got outside of the bubble that I lived in and recognized that not everybody lives and has it the way that we have it. And not everybody has an opportunity to hear the gospel like we do. Church, I believe that there's a takeaway for Luke 4.18 in all of this. We must make sure and I'm speaking for, as your pastor, but we must make sure that the incredible, by God's grace and mercy, place that we live in, even though it's a hundred and some odd degrees, it's a wonderful place, but we must make sure it does not lull us to sleep, church. We must make sure that we see that the world's greatest problem is lostness, and Mobile, Alabama's greatest problem is lostness. We must be a church that has compassion for the lost. And we must be a church who shares daily with all those around us in our city and wherever we are, we must share the gospel of reconciliation for it is the only thing that can transform a life that Jesus is the good shepherd who laid his life down 
for each person. May we not focus on how to preserve our comfort and our preferences and miss being the workers in God's harvest.